Good morning. Good morning. Great. Well, good to be with you. We are going to talk about Smith Wigglesworth, which is just fun to say, isn't it? Smith Wigglesworth. Just turn to the person next to you and say, Smith Wigglesworth. Excellent. So I'm going to do a, uh, a potted biography of Smith Wigglesworth, but in a moment I'm going to pray. So just to whet our appetite of what's in store, let me just read you one story from Smith Wigglesworth's life, and then we're going to pray. During a Sunday afternoon service at the church, a man on a hospital trolley was wheeled in, accompanied by his doctor. The man had stomach cancer and was near death. When it came time for Wigglesworth to pray for the sick, he was brought up on a trolley to the platform. When Wigglesworth got to the man in the healing line, he asked his doctor, What's up? Because he was from Bradford. What's up? The doctor explained that the man was dying of cancer. Wigglesworth inquired where the cancer was, and when the doctor explained to him the man's condition, Wigglesworth wound up his hand in a showman-like manner and plunged it forcefully into the man's stomach. The man promptly died. (laughs) And his hand slipped off the trolley and dangled limply at the sides. Panic-stricken, the doctor screamed, you've killed him, you've killed him. The family's going to sue you. Completely unperturbed, Wigglesworth simply replied, he's healed, and moved on to the next person. About 10 minutes later, the man came back to life, got off the trolley, and walked down the prayer line in his hospital gown with hands raised, praising God. That's just to whet your appetite of what you're in store for. So I'm going to pray because I really want this session to be less about information and more about impartation. Because how many of you know that God is much bigger than you think? Okay, about three of you sounded convinced. God is much bigger than you think. And the reason that Simon and others have been telling stories about men and women of faith this week is not so that we can look back and say, wow, what wonderful lives they live, but it's so that their life of faith would inspire a life of faith in us. Because you serve the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did in Wigglesworth's life, he wants to do again. Not just in some far-flung place, but in your life, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your school, where you live. And as you listen to these stories, if you hear anything that you think is good or you think, I would love that to happen in my life, take it by faith this morning and say, Father, do it again. Do it again in my life and in my church and in my city. Do the same things in my day. Because we're not just reading about history makers. Today, we're going to make history creators. Today is about us learning to rewrite the story of the times in which we live. And so before we get on, I just want to invite Holy Spirit to come and fill us and to do what he does best, which is to change lives and touch hearts. So why don't you just grab a shoulder of someone that you're sitting next to, and we are just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill this place this this morning and to do what he wants to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here right now. We thank you that wherever you are, there is joy, there is peace, there is life abundantly. And so, Spirit of God, I welcome you here to take stories off a page and burn them into our hearts in such a way that we believe our God for great things in our generation. Father, we thank you that, uh, Lord, this is Europe's time. 
This is Europe's moment. You're just looking for one man, one woman who will say yes to Jesus. Thank you that it doesn't need great big crowds. It just needs one man, one woman who fully yields their heart to God. Father, thank you that you're looking for those kind of men and women in this seminar this morning. Men and women who will put their hand up and say, I will live a life of faith. So Holy Spirit, come in this place, we pray. By your presence right now, fill this place with your glory. Father, we just turn up our expectation dials of what is possible. I thank you that some here this morning are going to leave healed in their bodies. Some here are going to leave with great faith and expectancy. Others are going to leave with their passivity burned up by the fire of your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Just under your breath, just where you are, just welcome the Holy Spirit to come to you. Just invite him to come near. Don't be passive. He loves to hear your voice. Just say, come to me, Holy Spirit. Come and fill me afresh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're here in any way and you're in pain in your body right now, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and say, Holy Spirit, come and heal me. Come and touch my body, even as I listen to these stories. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Love you, Father. Amen. Well, listen, uh, uh, if, you, if you notice that your pain has disappeared as I'm telling these stories, I just want you to wave your hand at me as I'm speaking, okay? Because what I think is going to happen as I speak is that the Holy Spirit is going to be moving in this place, touching hearts, touching bodies. Do you know that you don't need anyone to pray for you to be healed? Because it's actually faith that brings healing. It's actually accessing what is ours in Christ. And so just wave at me if you get healed as I'm speaking, and then we can just celebrate with you as we go through. So, Smith Wigglesworth, what I'm going to do is give you a very potted history of his early life and then give you some key characteristics of uh, his life of faith as a Christian man. So, Wigglesworth came from a a classic working-class background. He was a Yorkshireman. He was born in 1859 in a small West Yorkshire village, quite close to Bradford. Um, His father was a a labourer. He used to work in a cotton uh, mill. And in fact, by the age of seven, Smith Wigglesworth was working 12 hours a day in his father's cotton mill. And he would walk two hours to work, and then he would walk two hours back, having done a 12-hour day in the cotton mill by the age of seven. It was a very classic working-class background at that time. Smith had no formal education. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. In fact, he hadn't read a book until far, far later in his life. He had no formal education. And neither were any of Smith Wigglesworth's family Christians growing up, apart from his grandmother, who went to a Methodist church. And Smith, when he tells of his life, he said, even though none of my family, apart from my grandmother, were Christians, I grew up with this hunger to know if there was a God, that I wanted to know him for myself. And he once said this, he said, though neither father nor mother knew God, I was always seeking him. I would often kneel down in the field and ask him to come and help me. But it was eight years old that his grandmother took him to a Methodist meeting, which was the moment where he first met Jesus for himself. And this is what he wrote. 
He says, as I clapped my hands and sang with them, a clear knowledge of the new birth came into my soul. I believed that Jesus loved me and died for me and life came in, eternal life. And I knew that I had received new life that had come from God. I was born again. And this was the kind of start of Smith Wigglesworth's journey as a young eight-year-old. Fast forward this story a little bit. As Smith grew up, he quickly uh, got his own trade. He became a plumber and he moved to the great city of Bradford. Anybody here from Bradford? Clearly nobody lives in Bradford anymore. But back then they did. And Smith moved to Bradford and he became a plumber. And he very quickly became a, a passionate evangelist with a, a church organization called the Salvation Army. Now, these days when we think about the Salvation Army, perhaps you tend to think of the kind of the formal kind of outfits, the blowing of trombones and brass instruments. And, but in that day, the Salvation Army was a radical, radical movement of God's. So much so that they would find any way they could to share the gospel with unbelievers. For example, once the Salvation Army uh, hid an evangelist in a coffin and carried him down the streets, took him into the local nearby pub, at which point the man burst forth from the coffin, stood on it and preached the gospel. And so they tried any which way they could to introduce people to Jesus. And so Smith was a radical evangelist in the Salvation Army. And it was while he was at the Salvation Army that he met the woman that he described as the best woman in the whole world. You can go, ah, at this point. This is the love interest in our story this morning. Because he met a lady called Polly Featherstone. And Polly was one of the Salvation Army's chief soul winners. In fact, she was known as one of the most courageous preachers in the whole of the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom. She was the woman that they would send into the most fearful, God-forsaken places in Britain at the time, and she would preach fearlessly in the open air. And at times, it was very uh, common for things to be thrown at preachers in the open air. So once Polly had rotten eggs, vegetables, stones, live coals, dead cats, and even rats thrown at her as she was preaching the gospel. Okay, this is in this country. In fact, once she had a massive orange thrown at her, right in her eye, and she had a massive black eye for months. But she was a fearless preacher of the gospel. And pretty soon, uh, Polly and Smith fell in love. Oh... And it was a match made in heaven. They got married in 1882. And in many ways, Polly was the making of Smith. He was very rough around the edges, but he would say that marrying Polly was the making of him. In fact, once he said this, I stand on this platform preaching because of a holy woman. A woman who lived in righteousness and has poured righteousness into my life. Now, just a little caveat. Who you choose to marry is so massively important. You want to marry someone who pours righteousness into your life. So the best person that you could choose to marry is someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. It's one of the biggest tips I could give you about marriage. Marriage someone who is more in love with Jesus than they are in love with you. Because you can utterly trust that person. Someone who can pour righteousness into your life because they're living for Christ. And Polly was that kind of woman in Smith's life. She was incredibly, incredibly a courageous and righteous woman. 
But at the same time as being married, Smith was still struggling with just being a man with all the kind of rough edges that you and I have. He had a very fiery temper. In fact, once he backslid from his faith while he was early in his marriage and he threw his own wife out of the house. He would frequently have temper flares, flare-ups in his house. He had a, a rotten stammer. So when he spoke, he couldn't string two words together. He would stammer through every single sentence. He was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. In other words, I'm telling you this because in a minute I'm going to tell you some incredible stories. But here's the point. Smith Wigglesworth was a man just like you and I. He was an ordinary bloke who struggled with ordinary things. There were many natural obstacles in his life. And again, maybe you come in here today thinking, do you know what, there are just so many things that disqualify me. There are so many things that write me off as ever being used by God. I've got a past. I've got a history. I've got this issue. I've got that issue. You know, people don't really notice me. I don't really have any gifts to speak of. Listen, there is nothing in your life that can disqualify you from God being able to use you because he deliberately chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So in fact, the Bible says, rejoice in your weakness, boast in your weakness, because actually when you understand I'm weak and I need him, It enables the power of God to rest upon your life. And that's one of the very reasons that the Holy Spirit so mightily used Smith Wigglesworth is because he was an ordinary, weak man. So when you leave this place, don't leave thinking, gosh, that guy is a superhero, he's like Superman. No, actually, he was a weak man, just like you and I, but who learned to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And that was one of the key turning points really for Smith Wigglesworth is that he began to develop this hunger for more of God. And although he was a Christian, although he preached the gospel on the streets, he began to read the Bible for himself and say, there is so much more in the pages of the New Testament than I am currently experiencing. People who are are getting dramatically healed and set free by the Spirit. And yet, why is this not happening in my life? And it set Smith Wigglesworth on the course of seeking a filling and an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. And he tried to pray for himself numbers of times. In fact, there was one remarkable occasion where he started to experiment with healing. And so he decided to experiment on his own life first. For many years, Smith Wigglesworth had terrible constipation. I won't ask you to respond if you are currently suffering from terrible constipation. But Smith Wigglesworth did for many years. And he would take laxatives from the doctor to help him do his number twos. And in this season where he was getting stirred about healing, he thought, right, well, I'm just going to lay hands on myself and believe for healing. And so he laid hands on himself one day, threw his laxatives down the toilet, and then laid hands. This is what he said. He said, I prayed God do what you want to do and do it quickly. (laughs) And then he writes this, as I sat on the toilet, God undertook. My bowels functioned that day like a baby's. God had perfectly healed me. And from that day forward, my bowels have functioned perfectly. We'll pray for you at the end if you uh, had any resonance with that story whatsoever. So he'd begun to experiment with healing, but really wasn't seeing it in a a broad way whatsoever. And so he traveled to a little church in Sunderland in the northeast of England, where he heard that the Holy Spirit was being poured out mightily. And he began to seek the experience of being filled with the power of the Spirit. 
And he'd heard about this strange gift called speaking in tongues. And so he went to meeting after meeting in Sunderland where the Holy Spirit was being poured out mightily. And during every single meeting, he would interrupt the preacher and say, "Uh, I'm here to hear someone speak in tongues. And he would interrupt every single meeting. And he was a complete pain in the backside. But he didn't experience any baptism in the Spirit for himself. A whole week went by, still no encounter with the Holy Spirit. Disappointed, he started to pack his bags and set off for home. And he went past the pastor's house one last time on his way home. While he was in the corridor of the pastor's house, the pastor's wife one last time laid hands on him and prayed. And I'll read to you what happened. It says, while she was gone, the fire of the Holy Spirit suddenly fell on Wigglesworth. He became so overcome with joy that he cried out in a loud voice, clean, clean, clean. And he recalled seeing a vision of the Lord Jesus right in front of his eyes and being unable to speak in English, but began to praise God in tongues. And instantly that experience of being filled with the power of the Spirit changed everything in Smith Wigglesworth's life. Instantly, for example, his stamina, stammer disappeared overnight. So much so that when he began to preach from that day forward, his own wife didn't recognize him. As he was preaching on the platform, she pointed at him for the first time and said, that's not my Smith, that's not my Smith, because he spoke so eloquently. Everything changed from that moment. And as he began to lay hands on sick people from that moment on, they began to get well. And pretty soon, right around this nation, the news and fame of the anointing on Wigglesworth's life began to spread. Here is one example of a story around that time. He had one invitation to a house of a man called Matthew who was dying. And he arrived at the house, and as he arrived, everyone said that he'd arrived too late. Unmoved, Smith Wigglesworth replied, God has never sent me anywhere too late. And then I'll read you what happens as he prayed by Matthew's bedside. Smith said, Matthew, when I place my hands on you in just a moment, the glory of God will so fill this place that I shall not be able to stand. I shall be helpless on the floor. He then asked Matthew's parents to put his socks on. (laughs) I have no idea why. (laughs) And then, as always was the case in these circumstances, Smith asked the parents to leave the room and close the door behind them so that he could get shut in with God. Gazing at Matthew's motionless, wheezing form, he placed his hands upon him. Then he says this, The power of God suddenly filled the room, and it was so powerful that I fell to the floor. My nose and my mouth were touching the floor, and I lay there in the glory of God for a whole quarter of an hour. All that while, Matthew in the bed was shouting, Lord, this is for your glory. It's for your glory. And the whole bed simply shook under the power of God, as did every other thing in the room. Matthew's strength, his life and his heart were all instantly renewed. I was still on the floor in the glory when he got up from his bed and began to get dressed. After he was dressed, he began to walk up and down the room shouting, I'm raised up for your glory. I'm raised up for your glory. Opening the door, he shouted downstairs, Dad, God has healed me. I'm healed. The glory of God filled the kitchen downstairs. The father and mother fell down on their face. And the daughter who'd been brought from the asylum, whose mind was still affected, was made instantly whole that very moment. 
you can applaud if you want to. And this began to become a regular occurrence in Smith's life. The glory of God so powerfully upon him that healing broke out to the left and the right. And And Smith began to travel all over the UK when suddenly something very, very unexpected happened. On New Year's Day in 1913. And as his wife Polly was one day leaving the church, Smith was at the time on a train bound for Scotland when a policeman met him at the train station and reported to him that his wife had suddenly had a massive heart attack outside of the church building and she died instantly on the spot. And the account of that moment is that Smith stood for what seemed like an eternity having heard the news, but rather than breaking out weeping, suddenly he began praising God, speaking in tongues and laughing in the spirit. Because he understood the reality in that moment that his wife was in a better place. And he was suddenly overcome with a sense of the joy of God that she was in a better place. The dead body was brought back to the house. He cancelled his trip to Scotland, came back to the home, to the family home. And at that point, Smith Wigglesworth laid hands on his own wife's dead body. And I'll read you what happened. Wigglesworth closed the door and locked it. And then, with an intensity compounded by his grief, he approached the bed and rebuked the spirit of death in the name of Jesus. And at that very moment, Polly's spirit returned to her body and she opened her eyes, blinking. According to one account, Polly asked him why he had brought her back from the dead. And he replied that he needed her so desperately. She told him gently that her work on earth was finished and that God wanted her. They talked for a while, and then he agreed to allow her to go. At which point she lay down on the pillow and smiled as her spirit departed for the second and final time. And Smith later wrote this. He said, I wanted to die there as well. But God spoke to me, and he told me to rise up and come away. I told him that, If he would give me a double portion of the spirit, my wife's and my own, that I would go and preach the gospel wherever he sent me. God was gracious to me and answered my request. But I sail the seas alone. I am a lonely man. And many a time all I can do is weep and weep. And two years later, his own son George also died just at the age of two. And Smith suddenly, in the midst of incredible outbreak of the Spirit, hit a moment of incredible heartbreak in his life. And yet many said from that moment, the compassion that was in Smith Wigglesworth ministry was unlike anything else they'd ever experienced in their life. And it's an amazing mystery, isn't it, that in God, on the left hand, you can see the power of the resurrection, (laughs) But on the right hand, you see the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Actually, both are part of the gospel. Both are part of the miraculous working of God in our lives. And the fact that you can endure through suffering and mystery and difficulty and things that you do not understand is just as miraculous as seeing a dead lady come back to life. 
Do you know, most people who go through pain and mystery and difficulty don't end up rejoicing in God. They don't end up saying, God, you're still good. That is a miraculous working of the Spirit in you. And somehow in Smith's life, these two things work together in him to make a man who was more mature and able to respond to the voice of God in his life. And it was a, a key moment of change in his ministry. So I want to look at just some of the key characteristics in Smith's life, some of the things that maybe were the hallmarks of his success as a man. And I'm going to take a sip of water. This is going to be good. All right. So you may ask, how does, how does someone live such a remarkable life? How does someone carry such anointing? How does someone carry such faith for breakthrough? Well, I believe these are some of the keys. Number one is no surprise. Smith Wigglesworth was an incredible man of prayer. He was an incredible man of prayer. Do you know there is no shortcut to intimacy and anointing? You can't buy a book and get anointing from it. There is only one way that you can really carry anointing in your own life to give away to others. And that is you have to get in close proximity to Jesus. You have to be with him. You have to spend time with him. And Smith's life was a life of remarkable prayer. In fact, it was said of Smith that if he turned up to your church prayer meeting, at the very moment that he began to pray, The glory of God would so fill the prayer meeting that everyone else in the room was unable to stay in the prayer meeting and they would all have to leave. Because the the sense of God, the weightiness of God's presence would be so thick, people would literally run out screaming, feeling like they were going to die. Because he had such an intimacy with God. On one trip when he was in New Zealand, one of the men that he was traveling with had He'd heard of this phenomena happening, that when Smith prayed, everyone left the room. And so he vowed to himself, if I am in a prayer meeting with Smith Wheelsworth, I'm going to stay in the room. I'm going to do what other men have failed to do. I'm going to stay in. And he made this kind of vow. And so his opportunity came in Wellington in New Zealand. And uh, I'll read you what happened. He said, another prayer meeting was indeed arranged. And this man, Harry Roberts was in this prayer meeting. After a number of others had prayed, Smith himself began to lift his voice in prayer. And amazingly, the exodus of people began again. A divine influence began to fill the room, recalled Roberts. It was as if the very room itself became a holy place. The power of God began to feel like a heavy weight in the room. But with a set chin and a definite decision not to budge, the only other one now left in the room, Harry Roberts, hung on and hung on until the pressure became too great and he could stay no longer. With the floodgate of his soul pouring out in a stream of tears and with uncontrollable sobbing, Roberts had to get out of the room or he felt he was going to die. And a man who knew God as few do, was left alone, immersed in an atmosphere few men can even breathe in. Can you imagine if you knew the Lord so intimately, so closely, that when you prayed, the glory came with such weight that other people had to run? Can you imagine? And Smith used to say, he said, I I seldom pray for more than half an hour, but I seldom go, 
longer than half an hour without praying. In other words, he had a lifestyle, a conversation with the Lord. Jesus was his friend. Talking to Jesus was not just reserved for his quiet time in the morning. Jesus was Smith's companion, his friend. In fact, Wigglesworth once said this, If you find me on the street or anywhere else, if I'm alone, I will always be talking to God. I make it my business to talk to God all the time. If I wake in the night, I make it my business to pray. And I believe that's the reason that God keeps me right, always right, and always ready. And somebody once shared a hotel room with him, remarked this, that every single night, Smith would get into his nightgown, jump into bed, and the last words he would say every single night were, Night, Lord. And then he would go to sleep. He was a man of incredible prayer. Secondly, obviously there is incredible faith for healing. Incredible faith for healing. And Smith, when he prayed for healing, what he did would always depend on what he said he saw the Father doing. Which meant that the way he prayed for one person would often be very, very different than the way he prayed for somebody else. Because it wasn't a formula. It wasn't a method. It was based on intimacy. It was based on relationship with God. And so when he prayed for somebody, he wanted to pray in accordance with what he saw God doing first. Which meant that there were many, many different ways that he prayed. So, for example, sometimes he would be very vigorous with people when he prayed for them. On one occasion, he was staying at a a home of some friends. And uh, he was just sitting on the sofa. And suddenly another person came into the house who was also staying there. And he kind of had his neck on the side like this. Clearly his neck was stuck and very, very painful and very, very stiff. And so Wigglesworth, when he saw him, he said, what's up with you? That was Geordie. I'm sorry. That wasn't Bradford at all. <clears throat> On being told, Miss Smith Wigglesworth grabbed hold of the man's head, rolled it round repeatedly in his hands, and commanded the stiffness to leave in Jesus' name. The man staggered back, holding his head, but was instantly healed. And on a number of occasions, Wigglesworth would drive his fist into the part of Uh, a a man or woman's body where there was sickness or illness, often with many professing to be healed. Um, Interestingly, in our church, we've got a a friend of ours, and uh, in in one meeting, he felt God call him to pray for a guy uh, in the same meeting for a bad back. Uh, He had a number of kind of uh, 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 damaged discs in the base of his back. He'd not been able to work in the laboring field for numbers of years. And the Holy Spirit said to my friend, I want, you to, I want you to punch his back. And he's like, I'm not doing that, God. <laughs> he's like, no, no, I want, you to, I want you to punch his back. And if you do, he's going to be healed. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing that, God. He's like, no, no, I want you to do it. I'm, I'm asking you to do it. And so my friend went over to, to this other friend of mine, Adam. And he's like, listen, I want to ask you a question. Feel free to say no. And immediately Adam said to my friend Nick, he said, you want to punch me in the back and pray for me, don't you? And so my friend's like, yeah, how did you know? He's like, well, God just told me that. And he's like, well, what do you think? He's like, give it a go. And so my friend's like, okay. And so he, he smacks this guy's back as hard as he possibly can. And, and my friend Adam says, do it again, but hit me harder this time. And so again, he smacks this guy's back as hard as he can. And to cut a long story short, Instantly healed. Instantly healed on the spot. 
and someone once asked Wigglesworth, why do, you, why do you get so aggressive sometimes when you pray for people? And Wigglesworth said that his wrath was not directed at the people he was praying for, but at the devil, who he sees as the, the author of sickness. And when asked by a friend why he hit people, he said, I don't hit them, I hit the devil. But significantly, he also said, in order to pray for someone like that, you have to be in the right place with God. So don't leave this seminar with this message. I'm just going to start thumping people in the name of Jesus and they're going to get healed. Phil Wilthy told me that if I... No, no, he didn't. He didn't ever say that to you. Take this message. You have to be in the right place with God to do that. All right? If you ever do feel the Holy Spirit speaking that to you, please, 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 please check it out with someone else first and ask their permission. And say, listen, I've got this thing. What do you think? They may say, no, no. Listen to them, okay? So sometimes he would be very rough. Other times he wouldn't even lay hands on them. One time a man was in a healing line waiting to be prayed for by Smith suffering from diabetes. And as he came to his turn to be prayed for by Smith Wigglesworth, Wigglesworth just pointed at him and said, go home, you're already healed. And the man really didn't feel any different, but he obeyed and went home and he still had diabetes. And so he came back the next day in the meeting, lined up again, and sure enough, got to the point where Wigglesworth was to pray for him. Wigglesworth pointed at him and said, I told you to go home, you're already healed. And the man went home and the second time he went home, he was completely healed without Wigglesworth even laying hands on him. Sometimes as well, he would just command the sickness to go in Jesus' name. The point is, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What the Father was doing was what Wigglesworth wanted to do. Isn't it great for them to lay worship music on for us next door? It's so beautiful. So thirdly, here we go. Compassion. Here was the next thing that really marked out Wigglesworth's life. He was a man of intense and incredibly deep compassion for people. He once said this, he said, if you preachers lose your compassion, you may as well stop preaching because it won't do you any good. You will only be successful as a preacher if you let your heart become filled with the compassion of Jesus. And one man once remarked that Wigglesworth sobs as he preached was so intense that many times every single person in the room would be weeping with Smith as he preached. If you were sitting on the front row, you would get wet with Smith Wigglesworth's tears because there was such an overflowing, overwhelming compassion. And when you read the scriptures, every time you see the word compassion in the New Testament is always followed by some kind of action from God. And that's because so often the clue to God wanting to move in a particular era is when you feel the compassion of God in your heart for people because God works through love. Do you know that God never views people as projects? God never views people as chess pieces to move around on a board. He never views people as strategic people to get saved. God doesn't think that way. He works through love. He works through compassion. He works because he is intensely, madly, deeply in love with man and woman. And there is something about feeling the compassion for God, for people, that is a clue to us where he then wants to move. And for Smith, he was a man of incredibly intense compassion when he prayed. Fourthly, he was a real Bible man. 
So although he grew up totally illiterate, later in his life he learned to read so that in his early 40s he was able to read the Bible for himself. And in fact, he used to offer a reward of five pounds to anyone who could find him without his Bible on him. And he said, I always have my Bible on me. If you find me without it, I'm going to give you money. And he once said, I've never read any other book other than the Bible. He said, some people read newspapers. He said, I hate reading newspapers. Because when I read a newspaper, I come out dirtier than when I went in. But when I read the Bible, I come out cleaner than when I went in. And I like the feeling of being clean. Don't you love that? I like the feeling of being clean. It's a beautiful principle. Do you know what you feed yourself matters a great deal. You feed yourself from bad news, that's going to have an effect on what comes out of your life. You feed yourself good news, you feed yourself truth, you feed yourself on God's value system, that stuff's going to come out of you. Because what you behold, you ultimately become. Once Wigglesworth was approached by a young man on a train platform who said, Smith, prophesy over me. I need a promise from God. I need a promise from God. At which point Wigglesworth got out his Bible, threw it down on the train platform and said, stand on that. And so the young man stood on the Bible and then Wigglesworth said, now you're standing on a great heap of promises. Believe every single one of them. And off he went. He was a Bible man. He loved the scriptures. Deeply, deeply loved the Bible. Also salvation. So Smith once said that he would rather have one soul saved than a thousand bodies healed. Really, he was an evangelist at heart. He wanted to see men and women meet Jesus for themselves and would make the most of every opportunity to share Christ with others. There's uh, one occasion where he was on a train uh, going to Cardiff. And in his account, he said, I was just minding my own business on the train to Cardiff. I wasn't particularly feeling the unction of the Spirit. I was just sitting in my seat minding my own business. He said, but I got up to the bathroom to wash my hands. He said, suddenly I felt an unusual unction of the Holy Spirit come upon me in the bathroom. And he said, as I went back to sit in my seat in the train carriage, the two men opposite me pointed at me and said, sir, who are you? You convince us both of our sin. <laughs> and then he writes, he said, you can be sure that I made the most of that opportunity. <laughs> And he led both of those gentlemen to Christ and then went up and down the train carriage praying for the sick and leading people to Jesus. And this was how he lived his life, making the most of every opportunity. He was once on a, on a bus with his son-in-law and there were only two seats on the bus upstairs, one at the very front of the bus and one at the back of the bus. His son-in-law, James Salter, went to the front, Wigglesworth went to the back, got his Bible, stood on the seat and said, listen to this, everyone. And then began to preach the gospel on the top of the bus, seeing God's healing break out left, right, and center on that bus. Next time you take a bus, just ask Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to do today? Who knows? Who knows what he wants to do? Also, he's a man of incredible faith. He took things at God's word. He believed when God said things that that was the final word. He said, my first and most important mission in every church is to stir up people's faith. Fear looks, but faith jumps. Faith never fails to obtain its object. If I leave you as I found you, I have not been God's channel. I am not here to entertain you, but to bring you to a place where you can laugh at the impossible. <laughs> I love that. He was also very spontaneous in his preaching. So often, 
He didn't have a clue what he was going to say before he got up to the platform. He said, I have an arrangement to say whatever the Father wants me to say. And often halfway through his messages, he would just start speaking in tongues for 20 minutes at a time. And then he would interpret the tongues that he'd just been speaking in. And those were his sermons. It's very, very spontaneous style. He was also very, very used to opposition. You know, you can imagine that if you had the kind of ministry you were, where, you were, where you were punching people in the stomach who have cancer, you're probably going to get a little bit of opposition, both from the enemy and from people. And Smith had plenty of both. There was one particular meeting where as he was stepping up to the platform to preach, suddenly he heard a hideous demonic scream from someone in the back of the room. Apparently Smith Wigglesworth took off his overcoat, threw it on the stage and sprinted up the aisle towards the man. The man, seeing him coming, began to peg it the other way towards the back doors. And suddenly the race was on. And Wigglesworth began to overtake him. Rugby tackled him in the middle of the aisle, cast out the demon, led him to Christ, and then started preaching. And that was kind of normal for him. Once he was aware in the middle of the night of two piercing red eyes looking at him in the room as he was aware that Satan himself had turned up to his bedroom to scare and intimidate him. He looked at Satan and said, oh, it's only you, and went back to sleep. So he was, he was very aware of spiritual opposition, but also opposition from people who, quite frankly, didn't like his methods because he was brash, he was bold, he was irritating, he would do things that you wouldn't like. And so often people would stand up in the middle of his meetings and object to his methods. And I'll read you one remarkable story. It's long, but it's really, really well worth reading. And um, there was one meeting where he asked for the most incurable condition to be brought up on the stage to be prayed for by him. And a lady was helped to her feet by two lady companions. And they came up to the stage incredibly, incredibly slowly. And upon asking what was wrong with the lady that they were carrying up, they informed Smith that she had cancer and that she was very, very close to death. And instead of rebuking the cancer and the spirit of death, which he would often do with cancer cases, he commanded the two ladies to let go of their friend on stage. And they kind of hesitated because they thought, if we let go of her, she's going to fall over. And he's like, Let go of her now in Jesus' name. And so they did. They loosened their grip on the woman who, with her weakened legs, unable to support her, collapsed onto the hard wooden floor of the platform. Undaunted, Wigglesworth ordered the women to lift her back up. Straining with the effort, they heaved their helpless, tottering friend back onto her feet. Again, he commanded them to release the woman. Reluctant this time to comply with Wigglesworth's request, but fearful of his wrath, if they disobeyed, they let go of her. As the woman slumped to the floor for a second time, with a sickening thud, an angry rumble of disapproval swept through the auditorium. Suddenly a man stood up, face flushed with indignation, and cried, You callous brute, leave her alone. A murmur of agreement and nodding heads revealed that he was not alone. Wigglesworth whirled round to confront his accuser. You mind your own business. I know my business. He thundered harshly. Spluttering angrily but unable to withstand the force of his rebuke, the man sat down begrudgingly. 
Turning back to the two trembling women, his eyes blazing like fiery coals, he again commanded them to release their grip on their friend. Do as I say, he barked as they hesitated. They flinched in fright and let go of the woman. Those in the audience visibly braced themselves for another stomach-churning smack of soft flesh on unyielding wood. (laughs) Yet to their astonishment, instead of collapsing, the woman stood upright, swaying a little. And then a gasp of horror rippled through the hall as a brownish-gray mass sprouting scores of tendrils emerged from her body and dropped with a muffled, squelching plop onto the platform. Both Wigglesworth and the woman stared, fascinated, at the dead, tumorous mass. Then the woman suddenly began weeping, her body racked by her sobs. Wigglesworth lifted up his arms, his face to heaven, tears streaming down his cheeks, dripping onto the platform. The shocked silence was suddenly shattered by a spontaneous eruption of praise as people rose from their seats and throughout the hall with hands held aloft. Wigglesworth accuser stood also, eyes welled with tears. Isn't that amazing? You know, the challenging thing is, I think if I was in that meeting, I would have been one of the objectors. I would have been one of the men saying, stop that, you callous brute. And he had to learn to deal with the misunderstanding and the opposition of men. He was also very discerning. Often people would come to him with certain conditions diagnosed by the doctor and he would re-diagnose them by the Holy Spirit. Once someone was brought to him and it was said that he had a neurological condition. He said, no, no, the problem is actually with his stomach. Prayed for the young man who then vomited a 10-inch worm from his mouth. And he was, I know, uh, and he was instantly healed. So he was discerning. So these are some of the characteristics of Smith's life. These are some of the reasons why God used him so mightily. And yet even in this part of Smith's life, he still faced this incredible tension between the now and the not yet. The breaking in of God's kingdom, but the the imperfections of this present age in his own body. So for example, his own daughter was completely deaf. And even though he prayed for her many, many times and prayed for many deaf people who were healed, still his own daughter Alice remained deaf to her dying day. He himself, for a period of three years, suffered from kidney stones. They were so painful that sometimes in the middle of preaching, he would have to rush off stage past jagged kidney stones with blood, screaming in agony, and then he would run back and try and finish his message. That lasted for three and a half years. He had jar after jar after jar of jagged kidney stones that he passed from his body. And he said this. He said, I do not understand the ways of God. Here he is healing under my ministry as I'm preaching to you. And yet I am suffering excruciating pain from stones coming out of my body. And he lived in this tension. The now, the breaking in of God's kingdom. But also the not yet. The fact that we live with mystery in this present age. Smith died into his late 80s, living a remarkable life right through those years and The day that he died, he was in church and he inquired of a friend how his daughter was, who he'd prayed for just a few days before. And his friend lowered his gaze as he answered and replied hesitatingly that his daughter was a little bit better, but no more. 
And Wigglesworth sighed a deep, heavy sigh, dropped his head to his chest, and slumped forward into the man's arms and died. And his passing was mourned by many. This is the life of Smith Wigglesworth. Isn't that amazing? But what Hebrews says is that these men and women of faith are men and women just like us. They're men who believed in Christ. They're men who said yes to Jesus. And if you want to live a remarkable life like Smith, it might look different than that. He might use you in different ways to Smith. But listen, live your life wholly yielded to God and you will live a remarkable life to the glory of God. Why don't we stand together and let's pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay, just close your eyes where you are. I just want to pray for a couple of things. I do want to pray for you if you're here and you're sick in your body at all. And it would just be remiss of us to tell incredible healing stories without leaving an opportunity for the Father to come and do some things in our bodies. But secondly, I want to pray for the fire and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on you. Because God wants you not just to listen to a story, but to take away something of his spirit today. So Father, we just thank you again for your presence in this room. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for this great story of a hero of the faith. God, we thank you for men who proved in their day that your promises are true. That you are a God of miracles. And so Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come in this place right now to release healing in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you father thank you father okay just keep your eyes closed just engage with God me and the team we're just going to bring a few real quick words of knowledge these are just clues of things that God wants to do if when we say this condition you have it I want you to put both hands in the air and wave at me, okay? Now, don't come to me afterwards and say, oh, that was me, but I didn't respond. This is the moment to respond, okay? And so that just enables us to get ministry team around you to pray for you. So if I call out a condition, I want you immediately to put both hands above your head and wave so that we can get someone around you. So if you have any kind of um, issue with kind of, uh, kind of aud- auditory canals in your ears, something that affects your hearing, uh, both your right or your left ears, anything that particularly affects your hearing, again, just wave at me right now, just where you are. Any issues with healing? Great. Again, ministry teams, just be alert and aware of people as they respond. Also, we'd love to pray for you if I think you've had some kind of um, accident or injury that affects your left knee. Um, Again, just wave at me, left knee, injury in the left knee. Great, thank you. Okay, there's someone who's got some kind of, um, the, the phrase I'm getting is, is muscular cone dystrophy. I think it's some kind of issue with the eyes that causes uh, your eyes to not, not see fully as they should. Some kind of narrowing in the eyes. Who's that? Thank you. We're great to pray for you. Thank you, Father. Uh, someone who's got some kind of, uh, the phrase I'm getting is like loose ligaments. It's like the, the ligaments, I think is in your arms. Uh, there's something about the kind of ligaments in your arms that aren't as strong as they should be. 
Um, again, anyone got kind of ligament damage or ligament kind of issues in their arms, some kind of weakness to do with ligaments? Again, just wave at me so that I know that's you, so that we can pray for you. Ligaments. No ligaments. No one has ligaments in this room. That's fine. Thank you, guys. Got anything you want to bring? Um, somebody who has been struggling with insomnia for about the last six and a half months. So six and a half months ago, I feel like you just stopped sleeping, so you fall asleep at the wrong time of day. Is there anybody who that is? Wave at me. Yeah, I feel there's someone here who, um, I think it's connected to anxiety. I see uh, your, you get incredible stomach cramps that go almost the whole way around uh, your stomach. That's you, great. Um, I also feel... Um, yeah, just keep waving if that's you, some ministry team know. Um, I also feel there's someone here who's lost uh, some cartilage in their right knee. And uh, the father just wants to do some restoring. So, Cartilage in left, left knee. Right knee, sorry. Take, we'll, we'll take both. Brilliant. Okay, right. If you've responded to any of those conditions, again, just put, put both your hands up. We're going to pray for you right now. Thank you, Father. Also, if you've got diabetes, again, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you as well. Let's, let's go after diabetes in this place too. So if you're not responding, you just become the ministry team. So we get to pray as a family for those that are responding. One more, just real quick. Um, yeah, just while during the talk, I got, um, felt God was saying that someone with a problem with their um, right wrist, maybe arthritis or just a problem in their joint in their wrist, it's causing them quite a lot of pain. Great. Right wrist and arthritic pain. Again, put your hand up. We're going to pray for you. Okay, so stretch out your hands somewhere randomly around the room towards someone who's now responding. And we are going to pray, okay? Remember, the God that Smith Wigglesworth served is the God that we serve. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In our church, there's not a week goes by where we don't see someone healed of some condition on the streets or in our church. God is in the business of healing. And so right now, in the Holy Spirit, we invite your healing presence. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. If you're near someone, just lift your voice and just pray for healing just where you are. Thank you, Father. God, I just speak to pain right now in the name of Jesus, and I command you to go. Go now. Ears be opened. Ears be opened. I pray for everyone who has any issue with a lack of frequency and lack of hearing certain sounds We say be restored now in the name of Jesus. Let full sound return. Let full hearing return. We command arthritic pain to go. We speak to knees. Be healed now. Just pray for fire on knees. Fire on on, uh, sports injuries. Fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus. Release your presence in this room. We command diabetes to be healed. In Jesus' name. Arthritis in the neck, go right now. Scoliosis of the spine. We speak to every spine right now. We command it to be straightened in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Again, don't be passive. If you're near someone, just be praying under your breath, asking Holy Spirit to move in their life. Be hungry for a miracle. Be hungry for breakthrough. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We just command every ligament, every bone, to be strengthened now in the name of Jesus. Let eyesight be restored. I pray for those who are wearing glasses right now. Just pray, let some miraculous eyesight improvements happen in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Again, Father, just pray for those that are uh, currently on antidepressants. Again, I just pray, Holy Spirit, for your healing power 
in every person who's suffering right now from anxiety or from depression or insomnia. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Some of you, as you're praying, you're just going to start to feel compassion for those that you're praying. Again, it's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Just allow him to move you with compassion as you pray. Allow him to fill you with his heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Release your presence. Now, I realize that some of you may not yet be able to test whether you're improved or not, but if you already know that something's happening in your body and there's some kind of improvement, can you just wave at me where you are? Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You just know that God is doing something in your body right now, just as we prayed. Not yesterday, not last week, but right now. Something's happening. Again, wave at me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. That's about six people who immediately are saying God's doing something in this room. That's great, eh? So we just thank Jesus for that, and then we're going to go again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Okay, I just want you to keep praying for those that you're praying with. But for the rest of us, if you just want to receive fresh anointing from God, the fire of the Spirit to pray for the sick, to do remarkable things with your life, just raise your hands where you are. We're just going to invite Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Thank you, Spirit of God. Lord, we just invite your presence in this room right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If you are hungry for the things that you heard me tell stories about, you ask him. You ask him. Say, Father, use me. Anoint me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill my life. Make me a history maker in my generation. Give me the gift of faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just pray for your fire, the fire of your presence in this room right now. Just your anointing from the right to the left, from the back to the front, the anointing of the Spirit, anointing to preach the gospel with signs and wonders. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Let fire come right now. Fire. Thank you, God. Some of you right now, just physically, you just feel the weight of his presence on your body right now. Again, if that's you, just, just, can you just lift both your hands where you are? Just so we get a sense of where God's working. Just know that you're sensing the presence and the fire of God on your body right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, just increase that. Increase the flame of your presence in this room. Pray for anointing. Anointing to believe God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Just keep receiving from him. There's a, there's a young man just there with a green cap. You're standing next to someone with a red cap on, and you're in a red T-shirt. Yeah? Just nudge him so that he knows that I'm talking about him. So the fire of the presence of God is right on your life right now. And there is something in the stories that I'm telling this morning that you are desperately hungry for. And I just feel like the Father says this morning, you are going to have what you ask for. You're going to have what you ask for. 
Uh, he's going to bring, bring you into a season where you don't just share the truth about Christ, but you introduce the reality of Christ through signs and wonders and miracles. And the Father says, this is a time to start laying your hands on the sick. It's time to start believing God for extraordinary signs and wonders. Even in your immediate family, I feel like there are even some people in your immediate family that need a particular breakthrough. And the Father says, you're going to come away from this camp with faith to see breakthrough in your own family. And uh, you're going to begin to uh, see, even in your established group of friends, I see a particular group of friends in uh, your school uh, where there's going to come some great breakthroughs this year. And the Father's presence is on your life right now. So we just say increase that in Jesus' name. Increase what you're doing, Father. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just feel like there's a, there's a girl here. I think your name is um, Abigail or Abby. And there is something that you've been asking God for in the realm of courage to share your faith. And I would love just to quickly pray for you. If your name is, is Abby, I think, you're, I think you're in this kind of section here. If your name is Abigail or Abby and you've been praying for courage to share the gospel, you may not be in this section but I'd love just to quickly pray and prophesy. You can just wave at me if that's you. Don't leave me hanging. Big hand so that I can see you. You may not be here. You may be over here. Again, Abby or Abigail. Don't come up to me after to say, that was me. My name's Abigail. This is your moment. Again, just wave at me. Thank you, Father. If your friend's name is Abigail and you're standing next to them right now, Give them a big nudge in the ribs. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, just pray for Abigail right now. <laughs> Let your anointing rest on our life. God, give her incredible courage to believe you for great things in her life. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. When you just lay hands on someone that you're standing next to, put a hand on their shoulder. And I want you to pray that these would be days of extraordinary courage, extraordinary faith. Pray that you would become a history maker in your generation. Just pray. Pray for one another. Pray for the anointing and the fire of his presence. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Shoka baba rapa basi didi dikiara rapa baba. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Anointing. Thank you, Father. Shura baba tini mama rapa basa baba rapa. I just. I just feel like um, the power of unbelief has been broken off for many of us in here today and there's something new for us to start walking in and it's called faith and that feels great when we're in a room like this but what's going to happen as we leave this place, as we leave New Day, as we go home, our first opportunity is going to hit us in the face where we get to take a step of faith and pray for a sick person that we see in the street or or in a shop or at school and I just feel like God wants to 
come and encourage you, take that step. You never know what God is going to do unless we take that step. And um, I just want to prophesy in this room new, fresh journeys of faith. I want to declare over those of us in this room that each one of us is a kingdom bringer. Each one of us is anointed to see the sick healed and the dead raised. Okay, and just receive that right now. Just receive that prophecy. I speak it into being right now. Many, many steps of faith. Many, many sick being healed as we step out in obedience to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Well, guys, thank you so much for sharing this time with us. If your birthday is on the 23rd of November, again, I would love to pray for you at the end, okay? If your birthday is the 23rd of November, um, I would love to pray for you then. Come and find me. I feel like there's some things that God wants to speak to you. And also, if your name is Abigail, I will pray for you at the end. So come and find me, okay? So thanks so much. Can we just thank Phil for serving us so well? I've got two things to say in closing. I said right at the beginning of the week that um, uh, I actually mentioned it was Stonely Bible. It wasn't Stonely Bible Week. It was Downs Bible Week, which was a long time ago. 1988, I was nine years old. I went to a seminar track called Four World Changes. A guy called Ray Lowe spoke about William Booth, William Carey, George Whitfield, and Martin Luther. I was nine years old, and my life changed. He, he, after hearing the stories of these men, he said on the last day, he said, do any of you feel that you're called to be like these men, to, to give your life and to be, you know, in some way a world changer like them? As a nine-year-old boy, I was like, I do. And, uh, and, he, and he said, come, and, and, you know, and he prayed for me. And uh, I would trace my calling back to that day. And I just feel that there may be some in this room for whom this week you've known God has actually been stirring something in you and perhaps now is a similar moment for you that you feel actually, I think I'm called to live a life of faith. Now, obviously, we are all called to live a life of faith. But if you feel that there is something that God has put his finger on in terms of, I think I'm supposed to probably be in ministry of some sort, uh, maybe a, a leadership thing that I think God's, it's like it's landed on me this week. I'd love to pray for you. So do please uh, hang around and, I'll, and I'll, I'll pray for you and I'll just have a brief chat with you. Um, so that's if you feel particularly, specifically, that you'd like, that you'd benefit from that, please do that. But for all of us, I just wanted to encourage you. You know, we've kind of looked from... Uh, from hearing stories of very tentative steps of faith to a guy whose faith is so secure, he can ask this woman to be dropped and know that actually God's going to heal her. And that's kind of like scaling the Everests of faith. And I just want to remind you of that old proverb that um, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And actually that thing that Steph said before, that you know you start one step that way or one step that way, it looks very similar at the beginning, but by the end, you are either way over there or you are way over there. And so much of what we've looked at this week comes back to your daily decision. Are you going to open your Bible? Are you going to ask God to help you? I had a massive moment about it a while ago. I won't go into it all, but God turned my life around not too long ago in quite a phenomenal way. And I knew the next couple of days were going to be very important. And I just thought, I'll just read my Bible. I didn't even know if what had happened was going to kind of stay with me. And what I read in the Bible the next day was so simple, but I just noticed, oh, they had to fight. And I thought, okay, I've got to keep fighting. That was all I got out of the Bible that day, and it kept me going. Next day, I'm opening my Bible. Oh, it says God hears prayer. Oh, okay, I'll keep praying. And from that day, I have not stopped reading my Bible, not stopped praying. 
And God's just been doing more and more and more as he's added energy to what he's been doing in my life. But it's daily decisions. Keep making them. I'm going to pray for you and we go. Father, thank you so much for this week. Thank you for the privilege it is, Lord, to consider these heroes of faith. Again, we thank you for the hero of faith. Thank you, Lord. We're invited to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And Lord, we thank you. We are that joy, Lord, that you endured the cross for. And we pray, help us keep our eyes on you and recognize all the greatness that's available to us because of who you are. All the joy, all the wonder of sins forgiven, of a hope and a future, a God who cannot lie. Lord, I pray, help us to enjoy your great glory and your wonderful love for us. And I pray, Lord, all of our faith would continue to be uh, built up as we move on from this place. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you guys. Well done. Thank you so much for coming and have a great rest of the day. Do come forward for prayer if you need it.